Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk executive producer Rob Perra. Danny will be conducting interviews here every day, talking with experts on food and agriculture, and discussing topics like the impact of COVID-19 on the food system, unsung food heroes, how climate change continues to be a threat to agriculture, and other pressing social and environmental challenges that impact farmers, eaters, and the economy. Today on Food Talk, Danny speaks with Rose Hayden Smith, University of California Agriculture and Natural Resources Advisor and author of Sowing the Seeds of Victory, American Gardening Programs of World War I. They talk about the history of crisis gardening in the U.S. and the growing interest in home gardens today. Enjoy the show. Before I introduce our guest, Rose Hayden-Smith, uh, who is going to talk about victory gardens and you know sustainable agriculture in general, I want to talk about how gardening has really sort of grown uh, so much, uh, you know, people sort of having supplemental gardens uh, in their backyards, hopefully their front yards too, on their balconies, on their rooftops, uh, windowsills, et cetera, since the pandemic has begun, uh, begun. And I was reading this really interesting article the, uh, uh, that Reuters put out. The author's names are uh, Christopher Wolgenik and, and Tom Polancic. And they were talking about how this is really happening, not just in the United States, but really all over the world from places, you know, as diverse as Russia to Singapore. Um, and, you know, it's created this huge demand for seeds. Seed companies um, were experiencing a lot of sort of uh, their own trauma as people rushed to buy seeds in, in March. Um, and um, Johnny Seeds in Maine experienced a 270% jump in orders uh, the week of March 16th when the, the lockdowns and shutdowns began. So it, it's inspiring to me that people are are taking sort of their, their food um, power back into their own hands. And folks like Leah Penniman, um, who is the head of um, Soul Fire Farm and has written some amazing books about uh, people of color and and their uh, their their return to farming in somebody so many ways it can be such an, a, a a tool for creating social change and so I just want to you know give the the authors of that Reuters piece a shout out give uh, you know new and beginning farmers and gardeners a shout out right now because they're they're taking that power back into their own hands and while you know our backyard gardens will likely never be able to to provide all of our caloric and, and nutritional needs. It, it is a really interesting use of our time right now, right? If you have kids, you know, you can incorporate it into lesson plans. If you're, you know, sort of by yourself, it's a good way to, um, you know, meditate and learn a new skill. So there are so many, I think, you know, benefits from, from planting your own, your own sort of food source and, and enjoying it. Um, I've been doing it, you know, this is the first time in a long time because I used to travel so much that I've been able to grow anything. So my husband and I have been, he, I mean, he's been doing it. He's been building uh, raised garden beds for us and we are planting, you know, everything we can think of, but it's, it's been uh, a sort of way to, um, the noise out of my head and, 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 you know, have something to do that makes me feel good. So, um, you know, that's why I, I'm, I'm really glad that Rose is with us today. Rose Hayden Smith is currently an educational technology fellow at the organization extension, which she can tell us more about later. She is also an emeritus historian at the university of California, agriculture and natural resources. Um, uh, and, and she was an advisor there as well. Um, and she is the founder of Shine Communications. Rose has been a longtime friend to Food Tank and a really amazing 
uh, uh, mentor and an advocate and somebody who sort of has lifted us up in so many ways. So Rose, before we begin, just thank you for all that you've done for Food Tank and for, for me personally over the years. It's, it's uh, a joy to see you. Oh, thank you. It's such a joy to see you. And thank you for having me on. I love your work. Everything that Food Tank is doing is fabulous. Thank you. That's so sweet. So you uh, wrote this this book called Sowing the Seeds of Victory. Um, and you've recently been giving a number of, of talks and, and been quoted in articles on Victory Gardens and sort of the history of crisis gardening, uh, which is a term that I just learned uh, in the U.S. and how it relates to the pandemic. So I, I'm hoping you can sort of give us Give us maybe a little bit of history lesson of, of what crisis gardening is and, and, and how, um, you know, this is not the first time that, that folks uh, have turned to, to growing their own food in a, in a sort of scary and uncertain time. Yeah, I, I mean, people have turned to gardens in times of crisis, you know, forever, right? But um, some of the things that I think are really informative to us are uh, particularly in the 1890s and 1893, there was um, uh, an economic downturn. And um, so in Detroit, uh, May, uh, Mayor Hazen Pingree, uh, with a group of, you know, very creative people came up with this idea of vacant lot garden cultiv you know, cultivation, and it was called the potato patch, the Detroit experiment, potato patch farms. And these spread uh, all over the United States. And, and by 1896, I think there were 19 major U.S. cities that had vacant lot uh, cultivation uh, associations, right? There was a national association. So people, you know, people gardened then. Um, people obviously gardened during uh, both World War One and World War Two during the Great Depression. Uh, you know, some of the things that I see, um, you know, when we had um, a surge of gardening during the last economic downturn, right? I don't remember like people doing it as much as they did now. Can you can oh, you go yeah. into that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think now is um I have not seen anything like it before um in the like about 30 years that I worked for extension. Um mm -hmm. I haven't seen anything like this in terms of the the interest. And um I think it's it's kind of like almost like a perfect storm where, um, and it actually reminds me a lot, a lot of parallels to the sort of Victory Garden program of World War One, mm -hmm. because people were genuinely concerned about um, food supply. And there was also a pandemic going on that also didn't have um, drug solutions, right? There were no antivirals, no antibiotics. Uh, and I think that this, uh, people seem to be doing it not only about anxiety about food supply, but um, as a something that's restorative. I talked to a group at Rutgers University and they were framing it as um, their climate victory gardens because they're very concerned about climate change. Um, I have been um, talking a lot with faith communities and they're, they're framing it as um, good news gardens. 
talked to a group yesterday and they were calling them hope gardens. But I think people are, are anxious. Um, I obviously intersect with a lot of people who are using uh, gardening as um, a way to expand the home classroom. Right. Right. But I am shocked at how many people are actually have anxiety about the food supply. And I had a couple of people tell me, you know, if I can't get toilet paper, does that mean I'm not going to be able to get food in the future? Right. Right. And um, that's the question, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I think it's also driving um, an, an interest in local foods. Right. which I think is going to be a big winner, sort of like the local food and regional food movement coming out of this thing. Um, you know, I like talked to someone at my CSA uh, about a week and a half ago and they're like, we've never had this many people, right? you know, with the CSA. And that's actually, you know, I don't know about other people, but our CSA has been no, very little disruption. Right. 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 Uh, I, I talk about my CSA all the time on this on this podcast and Bernie uh, makes fun of me. But I, I think, you know, they, they've never had as many customers, as you said, as before. And there have been no disruptions. And, and the food is very high quality, very different than what I'm getting at the grocery store right now. And, you know, so yeah. you're sort of taking what yeah. you can get. But the CSA quality or the farmer's market quality is so much higher right now. Oh, it's yeah, it's fantastic. And um, it's kind of interesting because another way that I gauge interest is I used to run a master gardener program Mm -hmm. for cooperative extension. So I have a lot of friends who still work in master gardener programs across the United States. And um, so I know some people at Oregon State University, and they have um, an online vegetable gardening program. It's virtual. And they sort of opened that up and made it available. And I think in the first two weeks, they had something seriously, like 17,000 registrations. Um, They were mentioned in um, an NPR story. They had 100,000 new visitors to their websites. And everywhere um, that I talked to Master Gardener people, they, they said, it's just the interest is really high. Uh, and I also see it too on social media. And, you know, that's one of the things uh, that's really interesting to me because in studying World War One Victory Gardens, you know, the poster art is a big deal. And I have a whole chapter in my book about poster art. And, um, you know, even during the sort of Obama years, especially when the Obamas put in that garden at the White House, that was 2009. You know, Facebook was relatively new and we didn't even have Instagram. And what I'm seeing now too is being really fueled by social media. And I keep looking at Instagram and going, wow, in some ways it reminds me of the effort to use posters to promote gardening and food mm-hmm. conservation during World War One and World War Two, it's really interesting to me yeah. right now. That's an interesting evolution for sure. And I like, you know, what you had to say about online vegetable gardening classes having so much interest. You know, we've we've talked to folks at the Rodale Institute and they're getting, you know, they're putting a lot of uh, more information online for free and really showing people how to grow uh, more fruits and vegetables. So it's it's really kind of exciting that all of these online uh, resources exist and and that are available to people. You know, it's it's much easier than, you know, 
obviously in 2009 or, you know, during World War One for people to get information and really know how to do this in, in creative ways, no matter where they live. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. The, uh, the wealth of free information online um, is, and one of the neatest things that I've seen for kids is Texas A&M runs a national program. It's actually even international called Junior Master Gardener. Mm -hmm. And as soon as this happened, they pivoted and they have been doing these fabulous Facebook live events for kids um, all around gardening and then archiving them. And that's just been absolutely wonderful to see. And, and those are free, right? There's some great free resources there. Such a great way to help parents sort of get through these. I mean, I, I know everyone loves their kids, but these are very long days for parents right now who are sort of like trying to teach, trying to, you know, work remotely if they can, and then also, you know, feed their kids and, and have fun with them. So I think it's such a, it's such a, a great way to bring families together in, in different ways. Oh, I absolutely agree. And I am, um, you know, wondering if the school garden movement will get, you know, another surge of interest right. once we're sort of getting back to whatever the new normal is. Right. And, you know, and I do, I do wonder what the new normal is going to be for the food system. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what, that's uh, the question we're all kind of wondering and whether, you know, I, I've sort of taken this, um, side of not saying new normal anymore, because I don't want anything that resembles what we had before. I think there were so many inequities and so many, um, you know, problems with, with the way that food was being produced and consumed and, and, uh, distributed and, and you're just sort of how policymakers looked at or didn't look at food and agriculture. I think that all needs to change. So I think, you know, getting folks interested and, and gardening is, is, is so important. I want to go back maybe a little bit and talk about the other way, the other reasons maybe people are gardening. And, and I don't know if this is, uh, this is maybe what I suspect because I'm anxious and sad and maybe a little bit depressed is that I think there's such a, a great mental health component to just getting your hands in the soil and figuring out what to grow and sort of planning what it looks like. It, it takes up space in your head that might otherwise be filled with, you know, anxious thoughts. And so I find that sort of very helpful. Do, do you think? Yeah. I, well, I'm hearing from a lot of people that they're doing it obviously for the, the mental health and emotional benefits. And, and part of it, I know, um, certainly for us is doing something that feels like it's a, a little more that we can take agency with and have a little more control in a time when we can control so yeah. little. And, and I think that that is absolutely what I'm hearing from a lot of friends is, is why they're doing it. And, um, and it's not, I don't, it's not that people have more time because everyone I know just is absolutely slammed, yeah. right? <laughs> Because they're, you know, again, like you said, they're they're working at home, they're teaching at home, um, but it seems to be really important activity right now, and um, I'm really excited about it. And you know, and and what you said about not going back, I think that is really important because I feel that um, if you had told me in December that um, working conditions in packing houses 
would be leading the national evening news, I would have been kind of incredulous. And so what I feel now is that the scales are falling off people's eyes and we can't unsee what we've seen. And so um, I hope that going forward that we are going to proceed in ways that are more equitable and, um, you know, more sustainable and more intentional and thoughtful. And I know when I think about public policies that I'd like to see come out of that, you know, um, World War One, they had some some interesting food policies. And, uh, you know, one of the things they had in World War One is they had um, a national gardening curriculum through the Federal Bureau of Education. Really? That's so interesting. Right? Wow. Who, who would have thought? Right. And it, it's amazing. And so um, it, it, the name is not good for now. It was called the United States School Garden Army. So you wouldn't want that name now. But the idea of having a national curriculum that focused on climate, environment, um, food production, uh, human health, social and environmental justice and equity, and, you know, um, helping people learn more about the food system uh, and, and become more active participants in it. I'd love to see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if that's something, you know, that can spread to not just, you know, uh, elementary or, you know, uh, K through 12 schools, but, you know, also universities who, you know, so even places that are not, you know, that don't have food studies programs or agriculture programs, it would be so great to have gardens on every campus and gardens outside every hospital. And I mean, I know our, our friend Robert Graham, you know, was a leader in, in getting Lenox Hill to have its, its yeah. first garden on the rooftop, you know, but I want that, you know, my hope is that it, it expands beyond schools that, you know, there are no more front yard lawns anymore, right? That there, we have, you know, places for food production that makes sense in whatever community you live in. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I think those are also the good things that you could take from um, particularly the World War One Victory Garden program, because they encouraged school, home community and even workplace gardens and they um there were local and uh policies in place that eased uh private property uh restrictions so that people could garden on railroad easements or utility easements that you could garden on vacant lots and i think that um you know i agree with you i think it, it can't just be school it needs to be uh, uh, an ethos that goes across all aspects of our lives. And like you suggested, some sort of lifelong education program that spirals up. Right. And um, so I, I'm actually excited about the potential because I feel like things are really going to change. And I'm not even just looking at gardening. I'm looking at people's over-the-top interest in bread baking in, it's amazing. Right? Sourdough, sourdough, sourdough. <laughs> right? And sewing. 
all these people are, you know, taking their sewing machines out of the closet or the cabinet or the garage. Um, and, and it was really interesting. Um, I love Nathaniel Johnson, you know, the, the grist journalist. And um, he actually had a, 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 a tweet the other day about, about butter churning. Oh, I love it. And there were so many people jumping in saying, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And I think that actually this whole thing about, um, you know, life skills sure. and is to do more of that. In Home this economics. You know, that's, we used to, I never took those classes because I, I thought that was for, I don't know what I thought that was for. I looked down on the, the kids who took it. I, I want to be honest. And now I wish I, you know, I learned more of those skills as I, as I became older, but you know, my mom was always so sad because like, I didn't want to learn how to sew and I didn't want to learn how to can. And this is, you know, coming from a woman who would, you know, can't put anything in a jar, my mom. So I, I think having those skill sets is really important you know, not just during a pandemic, but just having, you know, sort of the ability to, to, to know how to do things, to feed yourself, to preserve food. You know, I I think there's a real need because of this interest in baking, you know, we need the infrastructure again in place where every sort of community has a, you know, a mill that's, you know, making flour available because you can't find regular flour on grocery store shelves or online anymore because of all of this interest. So I have to tell you, um, my community has like a lot of communities, right? And the whole barter system, the whole sort of resurgence of barter, really interesting. And the, the items that people are seeking most on this barter system are flour, yeast, and gardening supplies and, and plant material. Right, right. It's yeah. amazing. It's amazing. So that reminds me, you know, when we first started this conversation, there's been such a run on seeds, um, uh, Rose. And, you know, a lot of seed companies have sort of, you know, were were surprised and, and shocked. And, and many have had sort of had to close their doors because they couldn't keep up. Um, and, you know, they're you know, I think f- folks are are set for seeds this year because of, you know, that sort of run, but it's next year that I'm worried about. So I don't want to be naive in this assumption that like, you know, oh, great, everyone's gardening now, including me, but I'm worried about next year. Wh- what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think that that's a legitimate worry. And I think um, that we need to do everything we can to be educating people about seed saving and to support all those organizations that um, are, are selling seeds that are at scale, that are selling heirloom varieties or, and seed libraries. Um, I think everything that we can do to support that, because I think that's a concern. And, and I think that also, um, you know, leads into some potential policies, public policies about can certain programs be changed um, to enable people or or added to access resources for gardening. Because, you know, not everyone has even access to land. I think seed is um, definitely going to be an issue. Right. And I think that bartering system that you mentioned before could become very 
um, uh, uh, important for how, you know, how people decide what to grow. And I think, you know, like every year when, when folks have a garden, they have too many tomatoes or they have too much zucchini. And if, if communities can sort of coordinate efforts and say, Hey, you grow X, Y, Z, and I'll grow these other things. And then we'll trade so that there, you know, there's not, you know, an abundance of just a few things. And, and so that that doesn't lead to, to food loss and food waste. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. And that's actually one of the public policy recommendations in my book is that communities really need to do uh, food shed planning, right? Yeah. That people need to know what is in their community, what's available, mapping assets and gardens as community assets. Oh. Um, and there's some places obviously that do that. And they're obviously very strong food policy councils. But I think that coordinating um, community growing would be an important thing. And, and even at the, the garden level, like a community garden doing right. that. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing. And then also, um, I think another thing that we need to think about uh, mapping is um, basically commercial kitchen space, because not everyone has, um, you know, canning equipment and, and also that knowledge. And so how do we do that? And is there um, a way like, you know, there are a lot of churches that have kitchens, but they're not all you know, commercially licensed? Right. And is there a way or is there sort of a, a period where we honor food safety, but we also make it easier for um, for people to access resources in the community to to accomplish these goals? Or, or is this, I love that idea, or is this a way to help keep restaurants, you know, sort of uh, in business too, by, you know, folks get together, pay a small fee, you know, and, and restaurateurs and, and chefs help them do that processing that that's necessary to preserve food, you know, that that's an, an, another point I want to get in with you into, into, <laughs> into with you, Rose, um, this idea, I, I think we've looked down on preserved foods for so long or processed foods. You know, folks have stayed away from canned food and they've, you know, sort of dismissed frozen food for a long time. There's this cult of fresh instead of, you know, and which I love fresh food. I think we all do. We all, you know, talking about CSAs and for, uh, farmers markets. But, you know, I, if you can talk, I mean, people during World War One. They preserved a lot of the food that they were growing because there was a lack of refrigeration. And, and so, you know, does, how does that come into play here now in 2020? Well, yeah, World War I and World War II, right? I mean, the, a huge food preservation efforts. And in fact, in World War II, the, the, war, the war Industries Board, which sort of um, organized manufacturing for the war effort, um, you know, they, they made a provision for... Um, you know, canning equipment, right? Because it was seen as being so essential. And I think that, um, you know, food preservation is really important. And, um, you know, there, a lot of people don't know how to do it because they haven't done it, right? And so I, extension programs now, many of those um, extension programs have master food preserver programs. So if your community has a master food preserver program, there are volunteers in the community who know how to do it. And I also think too, there, there, you know, there is knowledge resident in communities. Um, I mean, I've got some friends who are, um, 
you know, older and maybe came from rural areas who still process food at right. home on right. a regular basis, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. But you just have to be really careful about food safety. For sure, for sure. And those those are skills that might seem scary at first to learn, but they're easy once you've done it. Once you've canned your first sort of beets or tomatoes, you get into a groove and, and you don't worry about, I mean, you still have to be very cautious of how you're doing it, but you don't worry about it as much. Yeah. So I'll tell you what I'm going to really miss this year. I'm going to miss county fairs. Right. Because, right. you know, county fairs are a wonderful place to go and state fairs to learn more about these sort of practical life skills right. relating to food and agriculture. And, and um, I, you know, saw today Ohio state fairs canceled and, um, and I know that my County fair, which is very large actually. And, and we have a good, you know, we have a solid, as you know, agricultural industry here in Ventura County and uh, our County fair is canceled this year. Yeah, it is sad. It's a sad that we're losing all of that sort of knowledge transfer that could happen and, and the sort of momentum and excitement that creates around food for people, you know, who are, who are not yeah. typically in agriculture. I'm wondering, you know, we've seen such a sort of, and this is something worldwide, like a, a decline in extension services for all sorts of farmers as, as agriculture becomes bigger and bigger, or there's not as much sort of, um, investment in, in smallholder agriculture in many countries, you know, extension has sort of been replaced by, um, you know, uh, sort of agribusiness in some cases. Do you think that there's an opportunity to sort of reinvi reinvigorate our extension services, not just in the United States because of, of COVID-19, but really worldwide? Yeah, I, I do. And um, I feel like we're, for extension, we're at a real and that that extension model we're at a point of real danger and real opportunity right. what we are seeing right now you know not just in the united states but you said across the world is um a, a an absolute tsunami of interest in these sort of things that extension does really well right. and has a lot of knowledge about. Um, and I, I think that's, that is absolutely um, incredible that a public resource like extension is aligning with public need and interest so much. What I think the point of danger is, is that um, with the hits on these uh, state budgets and as you know extension in this country it's federal funding it's state funding through land grants and then the tripartite piece is typically county funding and i i'm so worried about the cuts that might be coming down um, through the federal government, through state, through the land grants. I mean, I think the potential for cuts is enormous. And so one of the things I think that um, if the public values these services, they're, they're going to have to, you know, speak up. And I also think, too, that it, it's, um, you know, there's been a decline of public investment in this for a long time. And, um, and I also worry, too, about these terrific programs that we have um, like the Foreign Agricultural Service, um, where, you know, we, you know, we go and work with other countries and the extension service in other countries, what's going to happen? I'm really worried about that right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am too. I mean, after spending so much time on the ground in so many 
countries in the global south and seeing that lack of extension and see how farm you know farmers have to either create their own networks or work with nonprofits or again get that information from agribusiness which you know is usually trying to sell them something you know now is really the time for for governments to invest in in public extension services so that those those farmers yeah. can not only survive through this pandemic but thrive much later on I agree. And I do have to tell you, you know, um, a couple of, of things that I think potentially could be of interest. There is um, a researcher at UC Davis named Mark LaBelle. And uh, he and um, his then graduate student, who's no longer a graduate student, um, they they did some incredible research um, around how farmers um, who are interested in sustainability created um, networks of information to share information using social technologies. Right, right. Like like Twitter. Um, like, uh, you know, and I think their case study was um, maybe sustainable wine growers, you know, like grape, grape producers for the wine industry. So it could, could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That lots of different ways to share information than even, as you mentioned, 10, uh, 10 years ago, and especially 20 years ago, or again, during World War One and World War II. Um, Rose, what, what do you want people most to know about sort of this, this movement towards more sort of personal and community gardening? What I want people to know is that, um, this is going to be really important moving forward. It's going to be important for all of us to do this activity, to have these skills. I think there's going to be um, a potential for many of us, um, it, not only individually, but in collective settings to, um, to help produce food that can help people in our communities. Um, and because I, you know, I, uh, that's another big thing that I'm worried right now is about, um, about food distribution and access and, um, you know, hunger and what we're seeing, you know, with, uh, school districts heroically, uh, filling the breach in terms of, you know, getting boxes of food out to families and feeding kids, uh, despite this. But I think it's really an essential Thing for us to do and to know how to do. Uh, and I, you know, a Abraham Lincoln, you know, uh, in 1859, he told a group of Wisconsin farmers when he was campaigning for president that, um, you know, to paraphrase, as long as people knew how to cultivate um, a plot of land, any size plot of land, that we would be free from oppression of all kinds, including kings and moneylenders. And um, and I I think that it's an essential skill, and I hope that people will continue to embrace it, um, continue to share what they're learning with other people, and use it as a place to uh, to build community. Um, to be inclusive, uh, to, you know, be equitable in communities. Absolutely. Freedom, empowerment, all of those things. What an eloquent way to, to put all that. Where, where can people find more information about your work, Rose? So people can find more information about my work at my website, 
which is rosehaydensmith.com. No hyphen, all run together. Uh, you can actually find my book um, from the publisher at McFarland Publishing. And um, I also am on um, Twitter as UC Food Observer and also Victory Grower. And um, I, I blog all over the place. <laughs> That's great. That's great. My final question, Rose, because you get to meet so many interesting people and have this very wide network. Is there a particular uh, person who's inspiring you the most right now? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I love what Leah Peniman is doing. And I, I go in and check... Um, her social accounts every morning. Um, I, I love that. Um, I also am really inspired by master gardeners right now everywhere. I am really grateful for the very serious um, news reporting that's being done right now about the food system and the sort of the many crises going on in the food system. I mean, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I think, um, in terms of, you know, being inspired, just looking at what people are growing is inspiring me right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a good excuse to look at Instagram accounts for, you know, a couple, a couple hours, a couple minutes every day, uh, because it, it is so beautiful and inspiring. Yeah, and I tell you, these, these master gardener programs, these are, you know, these are volunteer driven. Right. And I just see these people, you know, making all these posts and so generous, so wonderful. And also Ron Finley's master class. Right. Great shout out to Ron Finley, the gorilla gardener in LA. He's such an amazing human yeah. and, and, and such an inspiring leader. Yeah. Um, Rose, thanks so much for joining me today. A reminder that this uh, episode will also appear on our podcast, Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. And I hope everyone will join me on our next episode when I'll be talking to Lawrence Haddad, the executive director of the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition. Thank you so much, Rose. It was really nice to see you. Please stay well. Now, thank you for having me. You stay well, too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.